Well, good morning, everybody. I'm excited to be able to share my heart with you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Logan Schwant, and I'm the youth and kids pastor here at One Chapel Lake Travis. And a couple quick announcements. Um, we did a date change on the ladies' night. So where's the lady? Where are the ladies at? Woo! All right. Um, so the ladies' night is April 20th, not April 13th. So everybody say April 20th. All right, April 20th, not April 13th. And then we have one more announcement. And this one we've been talking about for a long time. So we took a legacy offering in December. And it was just a way for us to, to as a church, give to something greater than what we normally do. And we did something where we gave, you know, a gift to all the staff at West Cypress Elementary School. And next week, the next project is here. And what we're going to be able to do is we're going to be able to do and go do a, a a mini remodel on the Little Country Diner just up the hill. That's next week. So if you haven't signed up for that, be sure to jump on the Sign Up Genius and sign up for that. It's out in, we, it'll come out in an email. You should have it in your past emails as well. Or just show up next week and, and we'll plug you in somewhere. That is fine. So that starts next week after service. So we're really excited about that. And then one more thing that I wanted to let you guys know about. Obviously, as the youth pastor here, the adult church doesn't necessarily get to see a lot of what happens with our youth. And I just wanted to share with you a little bit about what has been happening because God has been doing tremendous things in our youth over the last six months. Um, in the last six months, we've more than doubled in size, which, which is really exciting. That's a really good thing to have, right? But, but that, that really is nowhere near as important as this next thing. In the last three months, we've had five people either give their life to Christ or have the first encounter that they've ever had with the presence of God. Now, now that is something that, that is, is, is something that we can boast in, right? In, in God's doing good works. That's not to brag about anything that anybody in the youth is doing or anything or any structure or anything like that. It is the boasting that God is doing a movement in our youth. He is changing the atmosphere of what the youth is in this church and in this area, and he is doing something in there. So I wanted to let you guys know that so you can be a part of that, you can come in on that, and also so you can pray. for Because reaching our youth is not just something that the young people in the church do. Reaching our youth is something that every single person can be a part of, and all of your prayers matter, and all of, your, all of the time that you spend thinking about that and pouring into that, it matters, and, and it is working, and something is changing in our church. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that just so you guys can be aware of that and, and, and you can be thinking about that and, and, and it's, it's a really, really good thing that's happening here. So anyways, we're on this series that we've been calling Life in the Balance. And what we're doing through this is looking, going through the book of Romans and we're talking about it because every major theological issue is, is addressed in this book of Romans. And um, God has used many times the book of Romans to, to change the course of history whether that's through church revivals or, or through other areas, God has used this book to change this. You know, and it led a great Swiss Bible commentator to say it this way, every great revival in history that ever started can somehow be related to the book of Romans. And so our prayer as a church is that we'll use this book of Romans you know, in our, our lives and also in our church to do that very thing uh, time and time again and in our generations uh, to start a revival in our hearts. And, and I want to stop on this thought because because Russ says this every single week. He's been saying this every single time as he, as he begins his message. But this word revival, I feel like a lot of times gets looked over. And you know, there's a reason that my wife and I left Wisconsin to follow 
Russ and his family and to come to his church. And that's because we, we agree, uh, agree with his heart and we believe in his heart. And one of the things that he said at the start of this, this message or the start of this series is that he doesn't want to do church. And, and, and I don't want to do church. Like, we don't, we don't just want to do church, right? We do, church is a good thing. Church is where we, we, hear, we hear the gospel, we come, we gather as a community. But, but to us, to, to me, to be a Christian is not just Sunday morning. You know, and, and if we start talking about a revival, many times we think about a revival as we fill up these empty seats, right? We fill up the seat next to us. And, and if all we're doing is, is you know, if we, if we start doing something where we fill up these chairs and we just get a bunch of Christians to come to church and a, just a big gathering of Christians, that's not a revival. What a revival is, is a bunch of lost and broken people finding out who their Savior is and coming to Jesus, right, and being saved and being entered into the kingdom of heaven. Growing the kingdom of heaven is a revival. And I just wanted to say that before we start, because Romans 6 is heavy. It is heavy. It is, it is not a message, it is not a, a, a chapter of the Bible where you go and be like, I want to feel really good about myself this morning, so I'm going to go get a little motivational talk from Romans 6 and, and feel like I'm on top of the world, right? Because, because we want to reach the lost, and we want to be a people. We are called to go into the nations and to find the lost and to share the good news with them. That is what we are called to do. So on that note, I want to just pray that, that God will speak through me. So Lord, I just pray that you, you use this passage in this scripture in the same way that you've used it for thousands of years. Lord, to change our hearts, to bring us back to you, and, and to see you as the Savior that you really are. Lord, we thank you for that, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Romans 6. Let me tell you, I was super, Russ asked me about, to preach on this about three, four weeks ago, and I was super excited. I say that because the was is really important. I was super excited until about Wednesday of this week because I had, I had this message in me that, that I felt like, you know, I felt like I had this little revelation uh, even before he asked me. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. It works perfectly with what I want to talk about. I'm going to go. I'm going to share this revelation that God gave on my heart. And it's going to be amazing. This is going to be the easiest message I've ever spoken. Uh, I'm not even going to have to work on it, really. Um, it's going to be great because I, it's already in me. It's, I, I got this. And, um, it, and it was about Wednesday. And, you know, typically we like to have our messages done on Monday. And, like, I cannot write anything. I, I legitimately cannot I don't know what it was, but I could get nothing down on the page. And the reason was because I had this, a few weeks ago, I had this, this, this kind of like a vision. Does anybody have an imagination that just wanders besides me? Um, you know, I don't, like, I don't know about you, but I go on like, I go on like lifetimes or whole trips. You know, like I'll be laying in bed and all of a sudden like four hours will pass and I'll just be in my little daydreaming state of this thing. And, um, and I'm like, oh no, man, I need to really go to sleep now because it's really, really late. And that happens to me a lot. But this one thing happened, and I was doing one of these little, little things, and I'm a pastor, so you know, everything that, everything that goes on up there, you think, oh, this is God doing something. Um, so, so I had this, this little imagination, and it was of, of this man who was, he was sitting in, in a jail cell. And uh, this was not your typical, this was not your 
your 20th, 21st century jail cell. This was like a jail cell straight out of the Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that. Like a jail cell straight out of like not even the rats would go in this jail cell. Like it was, it was literally that dark. It was the rats wouldn't even go in this, into this, into this jail cell. And this man was sitting in there. And one day, the jail cell door was opened. And one day he became free. And, and you know, I remember, I remember like in my imagination, you know, this man sitting down on the ground, you know, he's sitting in the slumped over in the wall like this, you know, he's super skinny and, and he, he sees that the jail cell's free and he, and he gets up and he's like, he's totally shocked, right? Because he, he's in the pitch black and he's in darkness, but yet all of a sudden, all of a sudden the door has magically opened. And he was just, you know, he's kind of doing that thing, like, you know, kind of like a puppy dog when they're scared to do something. He's like thinking, oh, if I stick my hand out, the, will it? You know, he's trying to, and he gets to about the door, and he stops. And he, and he turns around, and he goes back, and he, and he picks up, he picks up his chains that held him captive. And then he walks out. And you see, the, the message was, you know, these chains had become the only thing that he knew. The sound of these chains rubbing together was the only thing that reminded him he was alive. And, you know, so me thinking like, oh, God, this is, this is easy. Um, you know, I, I, was, I had this, this, this thought that, you know, like, this is kind of how we come to church, right? We come to church, and we, 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 we carry these chains, and we carry them, and, and, you know, we come to church heavy, and, and we go through worship, and we're like, God, take our burdens, take this away. You know, like, I just can't, I can't carry this. And, you know, by the end of service, as we keep pleading, like, God, keep taking these, keep taking these, you know, we feel a little lighter, and, and we go, and we can get through our week, and then the next, you know, next time we come, and we're like, just take these chains, just take, take them away. And, and, you know, I thought, I was excited because my message was going to be, all you have to do is drop these chains and you can worship. And there is some truth to that, right? Like, Jesus paid for that, and he's given us the ability for us to be able to drop these chains. There is truth to that. That was the easy part. You see, but then when I started reading Romans 6, there was more to it. I was missing this. I was missing the point. You see, you know, I thought that I thought that you know freedom was was just easy. You know, the addictions and the lust and the lying and and the unforgiveness and the brokenness that you know all we had to do was just give it up and and it it would be gone. But you see. This man was in jail. He was in jail. And as he was about to leave, he went back and he picked up the very things that put him in jail. The very things that put him away and caused him to be locked up was now the very things that was keeping him from freedom. And uh, I want to say this with as much love as possible because I challenged, I was like on my knees all week long in conviction to this but I feel like this is what the Lord wants to say, that, it, that if, if I don't have victory in my life, it's because I don't want it. If I don't have victory in my life, it's because I am unwilling to give it up. 
right? If, if a husband doesn't have victory over his addiction to pornography because he's unwilling to tell somebody about it, he doesn't really want victory. You know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's this revelation of sin that I think Romans 6 is really about. John Piper, I'm going to blame it on John Piper because he says it this way, and I don't want to be mean. So we'll say John Piper's the mean one here. Um, he says, Paul writes this chapter to show why believing in the righteousness of Christ is the ground of our acceptance with God. Um, is the ground of our acceptance with God does not produce indifference in us towards sinning, but makes us dead set against sinning, us sinning in our own lives. I'll read that again. Paul writes this chapter to show why believing in the righteousness of Christ as the ground of our acceptance with God does not produce indifference in us towards sinning, but it makes us dead set against us sinning in our own lives. He goes on to say this. If a person says, oh, I am justified by faith alone through Jesus Christ, therefore, I do not need to make war or renounce sin or present my body as an instrument of righteousness to God, that person is probably not saved. You know, I believe that the reason that the Swiss Bible commentator said every great revival starts with the book of Romans is because Paul in the book of Romans is talking about, hey, you need to realize what sin is. And you need to realize that it has consequences. And it, and it is against God. And Paul addresses this right off the bat in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? So the first point that I want to make here, and the first point that I think Paul is making in Romans chapter 6 is we need to become disgusted with sin. We need to make war against sin. We need to make war against sin. You know, so we, we just came out with this idea last week. We closed on this, and it was really awesome. And God moved this, this idea that, you know, as sin increases, what does God's grace do? God's grace increases all the more, right? And God's grace is always bigger than sin. And the reason that Paul was saying this right after it, right, he's just following this, is because he knew people were going to be like, oh, well, if God's grace increases, I can just sin wherever I want, right? Because the more I sin, the more God's grace is going to increase, right? And this is, this is why Paul is attacking this right off the bat. He's saying, you know, just because God's grace is going to increase, that doesn't mean that your sin can increase, right? And just like John Piper said, if you don't pursue righteousness, if you don't have something in you that wants to pursue that righteousness, what, what is in you? What is in you? How could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Paul writes. You know, this is, this is where repentance comes into play. You know, <laughs> the Bible says to repent and believe the good news. And this idea of repentance a lot of times has been taught to turn from something, Right? So we're, you know, we're, we're going this way, and you need to repent. So we need to turn from it and go a different direction. You know, that, 
That is partly true, but that is not the biblical definition of repentance. Biblical definition of repentance is to change your mind. It's not just to turn, but it's also to change your mind about what you're doing. To have a revelation that, that this is not what is best for you. That this is, that this is bad. Right? That this is wrong. And to turn and to walk away and to walk in a different direction. I like the turning. I, I don't want to take the turning out of it, right? But you can't turn without changing your mind as well. Because when you turn, you better be sure that you're not going to walk back. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning and saying, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to be there again. <laughs> you know, and that's the heart of this. I really do. I think, you know, we don't, you know, we, we can say that we are not sinners anymore, right? Because Jesus Christ died for us. He's, he's, broken, he's broken our chains and, and those chains are off. But sin should still make us feel uncomfortable. Sin is still wrong, right? And I believe, I believe that when we realize the depth of our sin, that is when we can realize the depth of God's love for us. And I think that's, I think this is a foundational block for our walk with God. You know, if we want to see a revival, and if we're going to use this word revival in our church, we need to be we need to have a revival and a, and a revelation in our heart about what Jesus did for us. About what he did for us. All right, there's the bad news. Second point that I think Paul makes is to believe that you are in Christ. To believe that you are in Christ. The phrase in Christ is used 120 times in the New Testament and it is the number one way that we are called Christians. We are in Christ. To be a Christian is to be in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. That is so good. So if we are in Christ, then that means that I was crucified and buried and resurrected with Christ. Paul talks about this in Romans 6, 3 through 5. He says, Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death? Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him, so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Amen. So look at this. God is so concerned that you get this truth, that we are in Christ, that he, that he gives us a physical demonstration of this, right? And, and that is baptism. Right, the, the picture of baptism, when you think of baptism, it's, it's you go in an old creation, right? You go in an old creation, you become immersed, you go under, and then you come out a new creation. You become out a new life. That is, that is the picture of baptism. We're going to do baptisms in a couple weeks. And, and this is, it's a physical demonstration of that happening in your lives. That's what baptism is. 
saying, I died in Christ and I rose up alive in Christ, Christ living in me. Colossians 2.12 says, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So every time you think of baptism, think about this idea of being placed in Christ. We need to understand the idea of being in Christ in order to understand this sin nature that we, you know, the first three or four chapters of Romans is all about this, this sin nature, right, that's, that's on us. And, and now Paul is getting to this section. He's like, okay, we need to overcome this sin nature, and we need to be able to understand that we are placed in Christ to overcome this sin nature. Romans 6, 7 says, could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. Here's another passage that explains it. And this is, this is probably my first favorite Bible verse. I'm one of those people who have a lot of favorite Bible verses. I, I will like every time I, I'm like, yep, that's my favorite Bible verse. That one is too... That one is too. The people in my Catalyst group are like, yeah, you say that pretty much every single week. Um, Galatians 2.20. This was probably my first one. We'll say that. Um, my old identity has been co-crucified with the Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. The Apostle Paul wants us to understand that when Christ died, our old sin nature was crucified with him. And it's no longer us who live, but Christ. So that's the second point. Number three, champion your victory. I love this word champion. This word champion, it's, it's, it's not the noun champion, it's the verb champion. And it means to protect or fight for. And then I like this one even better, to act as a militant supporter of. I like this word militant because the military, so when the military goes to war, do they ever go by themselves? Would we send like one person to like just go and be like, hey, you got this. We'll give you a little, you know, some special weapons and have fun. No, you don't, you don't do this by yourself. You know, this, this is what church is for, right? This, this is what this community of believers is for, is to champion your victory, to champion it. Romans 6, 8 through 10 says, and if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. But he now lives continuously for, this powers, for the Father's pleasure. Death has been defeated. Death has been defeated. And we have this idea, Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those 
who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know, it's one thing to know that we have victory, right? That's, that's how I started, right? That was the first, the first thought I thought about this morning is, you know, we have victory. We just have to, right? We have it. We, we know that it, but it's another thing for us to believe it. And it's another thing for us to, to walk in it and to act on our victory, to champion, to fight for our victory in our lives, to fight for it. You know, this is, this act and belief is where the power of overcoming sin comes, comes into play. Romans 6, 12 says, sin is a dethroned monarch. So you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life. Controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and its cravings. Don't let it control you. We have the power, now it's our choice Right, it's our choice to choose who's going to rule our life. Because, because you are holding on, you're holding on to something. We're always holding on to something. Our choices, like we may have been set free, you may have accepted Jesus, but you're still holding on to something. Are we holding on to these, or are we holding on to the cross? What are we going to fight for? Because like I said, if we don't make war against these, and if, and if we don't do something about this, you know, how are we going to be able to lift up the cross? How are we going to be able to run after Jesus when we're so consumed with running after ourselves? And so, if we champion our victory, we'll fight for it. We'll believe that we're in Christ. We'll believe that he set us free. We'll believe that his word is true. And you no longer have to give in to sin. You don't have to give in to sin. Galatians 5.16 says, So now I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. You see, I think, I think we get intimidated by temptation. And a lot of us, when we, when we face temptation, we face it as a way of like, oh, this is how I always am. This is how I always will be. I'm never going to change. I'm never going to be able to get over this. I'm never going to be able to say no. So we just give into it. That's not the biblical way to face temptation. That's not what Jesus did for us. James talks about this. 1, 14 through 15. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. You see, overcoming temptation is not easy. And, and the reason that this message was so heavy is because this is my story. You know, this verse in James changed my life when I read it because I finally understood how this aspect of sin works, right? It comes from our desires and it turns into, into this temptation and it, and it turns into sin when we act on it. And, and you know, when this, this verse probably really hit me around the time that I was 21 because... 
maybe 20 to 21, I, had, I went through this little situation where I went through a really horrific breakup with my wife now, Haley. You know, it was really manipulative. I was a, a really bad person to her. Um, and then I went through a little time of living, you know, my own life, trying to seek after my flesh, right? I let my flesh rule who I was. And, and all this was, it, it wasn't something that started when I was 20, right? It wasn't something that just happened all of a sudden. I just decided I wanted to become a really bad person, and I became a really bad person, and I did these things. That's not how it was. It started when I was eight years old. When I was eight years old, Dish Network did a free HBO preview, and I slept in the basement one night, and I was introduced to pornography for the first time. I then spent my entire childhood addicted to pornography. And, and it leaked. Yeah, I was a Christian. I went to church every Sunday. I went to youth group every Wednesday. I did it. I did all those things. Yet I didn't, I didn't fight against the enemy. And you know, it eventually got to a point where it was no longer wrong. I no longer was convicted by what I was doing, right? Like, I knew, I knew God, I knew God said it wasn't good. I knew God said, you know, I knew I was sinning, right? I knew I was sinning, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And, and I faced a lot of death in my life, right? My parents were ashamed of me. You know, I lost the girl that I loved, and I went and hurt myself and hurt others a lot more. You know, I... I messed up probably a lot of opportunities that I could have had. And, and I experienced death in my life. I experienced this spiritual death, and I almost experienced physical death from this. You know, and it, so, so I know, I know this battle, right? I know this battle of, of sin and temptation. I'm not standing here saying, that I've never gone through this and I want you to go through this because I'm going through this right now. You know, I've been going through it for the last, you know, five years as, as God's victory becomes truer and truer in my life every single day that passes by. But I think in order for us to see who Jesus is and for us to see what he did for us, we need to be able to see the sin in our own lives and be able to give that, give that up. And if you want victory, if you want a revival, and you want a revelation in your heart, then open up your hands to sin. Then drop those chains that you've been carrying. And I'll say this. Confess to one another, and you will be healed. If it is hidden in the dark, it will eventually come to the light. God wants you to have victory. Jesus went to a cross and died so that you could have victory in your life. Romans 6.13 says, So then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life.
You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose. Turn from sin, believe that you are a new creation, and find life. Champion your victory, because it's there for you. Romans 6.14, remember this, sin will not conquer you. Sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of grace of God. And I want to close with this. Sin, sin is like gravity, right? It, it, it tries to suck you in, and it's constantly pulling you down and making you feel worthless. That's, that's the goal. The, devil's, the enemy's goal is to destroy you. To steal life from you. That's his goal. But God's grace lifts you up. Shame is from the devil. Life and joy and forgiveness is from Jesus. And I think that's an important thing that we have to understand, right? Because understanding our sin is not feeling like, man, I am the worst thing in the entire world. I'm just going to go and sit in a corner and cry. That, that's, that's not That's not what comes out of understanding our sin. Understanding our sin and being able to give to Jesus gives us a revelation of his life and his love. And gives us a revelation of how much he loves you and how much he calls you a child of God. That's what understanding our sin is. And so we're going to go back into a time of worship. And and I want to... You know, we're going to have the prayer team up. They'll be on the sides. And we're going to take communion. And... And I want this to be intentional because God wants each and every one of you to have victory right today in your lives. God wants each and every one of you to walk out without carrying your chains out the door, right? He doesn't want you to come back with a whole bunch of new chains next week. He wants you to walk out without those chains. So so I want to challenge you Maybe, maybe some of you this is new, or maybe some of you, you feel like you don't have to, or, but I want to challenge you to pray a prayer. And this prayer is, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Because that changes the attitude of our heart. See the world from his perspective. If you would, would you close your eyes, please, and, and i You know, nothing is, is more crucial than this section and these sections of Romans that we're looking at. And maybe even today, some of you guys are intimidated, you know, by the devil and, and your old sin nature. I've, I've been there. I was there this week. And, and, you know, some of the thoughts that may have gone to our mind is I'll never be able to change. I can't be consistent. I'll never get control of this in my life and you feel like you just can't break it but the reality is that we can't break this alone we can't break it alone but you are surrounded by a community of believers who want to fight with you in this battle you are immersed in a community where our cries of worship are going up to the one true living God who died on a cross for you so that you could be set free. Confess your sins to one another and you will be healed, is his promise. 
That's his promise. So if you are living, if you are living with a weight here today, if that is you, don't keep it in the dark any longer. Because that is an area where God wants to give you his life. And he wants to share his love with you. And he wants you to have a revelation of who he is in a way that you've never experienced. He wants to do that in this moment. In this moment today. So if you would just say this prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my mind. I give you a present of my heart, my life, my ears, my hands, my mouth. I present myself to you. I thank you that sin will not be my master. And that because I'm under grace, you will give me wings to break through the gravity of my old sin nature. Lord, help me to believe that I'm dead to sin and help me to start acting like it. Help me to not just give in to every thought, every feeling that comes into my head. Help me to know more about how you created me and help me to trust you more than anything else. And help me not to let sin go unchallenged in my life. Help me to choose you. Lord, start a revival in our hearts right now. Lord, we, we worship you. Lord, we cry out to you. Lord, we say we need you. Lord, this, this darkness is not the life that you created for us. Lord, you created us to live in joy, peace, righteousness, love. Lord, we want that. So Lord, we say yes to your forgiveness. Lord, we say yes to your forgiveness because we know that when we surrender, when we surrender to you, you lift us up and you hold us up, you hold us higher than we could ever get ourselves. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you have saved us, that you have rescued us, and that you have broken through any darkness and any place that was hidden, and you have shined your light. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And Lord, we come to you and we worship you. In John chapter 5, there's a story of this lame man who'd been lame for 38 years, and he would sit on his mat at the pool of Bethsaida because every once in a while the angel of the Lord would come and stir that pool and, and the first one in would be healed. And he had sat there for 38 years hoping, longing to be able to get into that pool first so that he could be healed. And then that day Jesus walked into that room and he looked at that man and he asked the man what it, what it is that he would want and the man told Jesus he's been here waiting but he can't get into the pool fast enough and I heard the spirit of the Lord just say that some of you are you're longing, you're hoping to get into that pool and maybe even this morning 
you've come and hoping that maybe today would be different. That maybe today that your life would change. Maybe that thing that you're struggling with, that that finally would be broken off of you. That maybe today would be the day that your healing would come, that you're looking even at church and coming on a Sunday morning as a pool at Bethsaida, hoping that you can get there and something will happen. But the Spirit of the Lord is saying, I am here. I am with you. My presence is with you. This is not a magic pill to take. This is the presence of the Lord. And he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Knock, and the door shall be opened. And I hear just the, the, the joy and the love that's in the heart of God for you right now. And his joy and his love for you is to meet you right where you are. Your answer is not a church service. Your answer is not a song. Your answer is Jesus. And he is sufficient. He is more than enough. So grab a hold of him. Take your eyes off of everything else. Take your eyes off of your mat. Take your eyes off of your condition. And look to him. Because he is more than enough. Come on, let's just sing this chorus again and just begin to thank him. Begin to thank him for his presence. Begin to thank him that he is with you right here, right now. Come on. Come on, look at him. Look. Christ my Savior rescued me. He's the one who will rescue you. He is your answer.
resting on you and life. We don't want to get in a hurry this morning. We've got time. I just want to worship you. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Yes. We thank you, Lord. Lord, what we're trying to say this morning is today is that we do surrender. We do accept. We accept that what you have done and that has already been won and done on the cross and with your life. We accept. It's the great exchange, Lord, our sin for freedom. Come, we lay it down. Sing with me, you give life. There's freedom in this place. There is freedom in this place. There is freedom in Jesus. Galatians says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. There is freedom here. There is freedom here. Don't walk out this door without experiencing that freedom. Don't leave without it. Hold on to it and fight for it because it's been given to you. Each and every one of us, it has been given to us. Can we just give God a praise for that, that there is freedom? There is freedom. Thank you, everybody. Go in freedom and go in peace and have a wonderful week. See you next week.